Crime Scenes and Cupcakes is a true crime investigative podcast. We discuss cases regarding the assault, murder, sexual assault, or cases involving the abuse or abduction of adults or children. These topics can be very disturbing and a trigger to many individuals, so please listen accordingly. If you or someone you know is struggling or in crisis, help is available. You can text, call, or chat 988. This is available 24-7. It is also available in multiple languages for anyone who needs mental health-related or suicide crisis support. It can connect you with trained crisis counselors. Also, if you are in Wichita, there is a local crisis center. Call 316-660-7500. Welcome to the Carolinas, where serial killers, abductions, and mysterious circumstances are abundant. Join me, Tiffany, and my co-host Sam, two moms, as we cover local true crime cases that will leave you wanting more. Tune in every weekend for our new episodes where we rotate between North Carolina and South Carolina true crime cases. Find us on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, and follow us on our social media. We're on Instagram at Cola City Crime, and you can find our Facebook page by searching our name, Cola City Crime. Hey guys, it's Marianne, Dog Mom, Baker, True Crime Podcast Maker, and today we have another listener request. We're going to be discussing the case of Randy Leach, who disappeared after a pre-graduation party at a rural farm in Leavenworth County on April 16, 1988. Since then, his disappearance has been a mystery. The Leach family gathers in front of the Leavenworth County Courthouse and they make pleas to local law enforcement to re-look into their case. And they have a group that comes with them. It is amazing to see the amount of support they have. So I think it's important, especially now that this is the anniversary of when his case has occurred, to shine focus on Randy's case yet again. So let's get into it. Now, it's really interesting how much attention, national attention, this case has garnered. And so there's going to be some obvious things that people are going to say, oh, I think this happened or I think that happened. But trust me, all of those theories have been checked out. And you will understand why Alberta and Harold, his parents, have pushed so hard just to get access to the files. And that is something I understand. (laughs) I understand it so much. But let's get in to talk about Randy a little bit. Now, Randy Wayne Leach was and is, because he's missing, a compassionate and loving son of Alberta and Harold Leach. He loves spending time with his family and friends And he did not hesitate to help them when the opportunity presented itself. Now, we got this from the website Uncovered.com. He grew up on a 10-acre farm in the small town of Linwood, Kansas. The population there was about 377 people at the time. 
so very small town. On their farm, Randy had rabbits, chickens, a horse, and of course, a dog. He also had a pig named Porkchop, and I absolutely love that. He, he predominantly earned A's and B's, played basketball, tried out for track, where he hoped to break the shot put record. Randy also had his own lawn mowing service, and he planned to cut lawns for the summer before going into a trade school. So in short, let's say this guy pretty much, this sounds like a guy who has his life on track. Sounds like a guy who doesn't really have a lot of problems. He has a loving family. Hell, he's got pork chop. Who could have a lot of problems with pork chop? Even though horrible tragedy strikes, these parents continue to show their love and support for Randy. Now, Randy Leach was a couple of weeks away from his high school graduation. Interestingly enough, Randy graduated around the same time I did, and he and his fellow seniors at Linwood High School in Linwood, Kansas, they were starting their celebrations a little bit early. One of his classmates was throwing what they called a pre-graduation party. Now, me being the total nerd I am, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't understand what it was, and I had to look up what a pre-celebration graduation party was. And, okay, so I figured it out. It's basically where a bunch of people get together and celebrate and do a little drinking and stuff and say, hey, we're going to graduate. Again, I was kind of a nerd, but I had Krista, so it was cool. Now... On April 15th of 1988, Randy, like most of the senior class, they're planning to be there. His mother gave him permission to drive her car for the night. She handed over the keys to her 1985 Dodge sedan, and she told Randy to have fun and reminded him to be home by midnight. Randy promises he would, and he leaves home about 6.30 p.m. that night. Now, Randy's first stop is at a local convenience store. That's where he purchases some candy and soda because that's what you do when you're in your teens. He puts gas in his mom's car, which that's not what a lot of teens do, so that's extremely commendable. His next stop is in DeSoto, Kansas. It's another small town about 10 miles away from Linwood. There, he stops by a garage, and at that garage, this is freaking cool. He's restoring a 69 Mustang, my dream car. The car was his pride and joy, and he could not wait until the restoration was complete, and he could drive that Mustang. He intended to paint it, of course, bright cherry red. And he spent a couple of hours working on the car. Then he decides to leave and make his way to the party. The party was being held, as you do in small towns, you find that rural residence, that country house where you're hoping the cops and everybody won't find you, but you can all gather and drink and cut back and have a good time. And it was about five miles from Randy's home. So not too far but it is in a very isolated area. 
Randy arrives around 9.30 that night. He kind of checks out the crowd until he finds some of his friends. But there was about 150 people there. For a small town, I was surprised there were that many people at a party. But again, I'm a nerd. I've never been to a party with that many people. It was like, holy shnikes. Now, 150 people attended this party, and at some point that night, the people in attendance admitted there was a lot of alcohol and there were a lot of drugs. Now, Randy, he's an athlete at his high school, and there is no history that anybody can find that he was into the drug scene at all. He was known to have a few beers, but no one has ever remembered seeing him drink anything that night. He had been completely sober when he arrived, but shortly after he got to the party, some of the friends noticed really something kind of odd. He was stumbling around and appeared to be really intoxicated. One of Randy's friends approached him and asked if he was okay. And Randy was just like, dude, I don't know what's wrong with me. This, I feel weird. Some of the people, some of the other kids, they thought Randy might have been drugged without his knowledge. Now, here's the deal. Randy is about six foot three, pretty tall. And he was built like a linebacker. This is a big guy. So drinking a couple of beers, especially somebody who is kind of used to drinking a couple of beers, it normally wouldn't affect him this way. So this is really strange. Now, in the past, Randy had been pretty meticulous about obeying curfew, and he was always home by midnight. Because of that, his parents always slept well. They didn't have to worry about Randy. They could rely on him. So they go to bed knowing they're just going to see Randy in the morning. When they wake up at 6 a.m., however, there was no sign of Randy or his mother's car. Now, this is not normal. So Harold and Alberta Leach immediately worried that their son had been in a car accident because, again, he is always dependable. And that had to be the first logical reason as to why he's not at home. But of course, they're like, okay, we, we don't want to freak out. We don't want to overreact. Again, this is 1988. This is not today where parents know how horrible the world is. This is 1988 where you're always assuming there has to be a rational answer. They, they start making some calls. Let, let's just make some calls. Let's pump the brakes and let's see what's up. Everyone's saying they hadn't seen Randy since the previous night. Now, Harold, Randy's dad, he called a few of the local hospitals next, but none of them had admitted Randy as a patient. Now the panic is setting in. So Harold decides to call the police and report Randy missing. This is the part that really, truly ticks me off. They, of course, are reluctant to take the case seriously. They're saying, ah, it's a 17-year-old boy. He's probably just hung over. He did something he doesn't want to admit to, and he just doesn't want to come home. The parents are saying, no, 
this isn't normal. He, he, he would talk to us. We have a good relationship. Police aren't willing to just talk to the parents. And let me tell you, law enforcement out there, listen to the parents. Listen to their gut instinct. The parents know this kid better than you do. The parents have already gone to the home where the party had been held. The area had already been cleaned up and there was nothing to indicate Randy had been a victim of foul play. The teenagers who had attended the party, though, they really didn't want to talk to the police because they were underage and most of them had been drinking and using drugs. They were able to tell the police that Randy had arrived before 10 p.m. They did not see him consume any drugs or alcohol. A lot of them did say, now, despite him not consuming any drugs or alcohol, Randy was acting weird. He wasn't behaving normally. And he even would say he didn't feel right. Now, around 12.30 a.m., several people at the party had noticed that Randy appeared to be searching for something. Now, when people asked him, what are you looking for, dude? He told him he had misplaced his car keys. Now, no one really remembered if he had found them or not because they were partying. They were having a good time. Randy's problem was not their problem. Now, this is one of the things I appreciate about younger people. Younger people today, I seem to think, now, there are different groups. There are some very different groups who are more of, hey, I'm doing my own thing. They're the ones that are pranking people. They're the narcissistic ones out on the web. But then I've come across some of the most amazing ones that will drop everything they're doing to help their fellow human being. And I really wish some of them had been at this party because nobody else followed up with Randy. Randy was searching for something, maybe his car keys, and Randy was left on his own. Now, the detectives were able to figure out that Randy had last been seen at the party at around 1.30 in the morning. Although not one person believed he was still there at 2 a.m. because just nobody really saw him, not one person can remember him leaving. The host of the party told the police that everyone in attendance had left the party by 2.15. One of Randy's friends, who had been acting as the unofficial designated driver, he said he saw Randy staggering around, and again, he saw Randy staggering around, and you would think, okay, I'm the unofficial designated driver. Let me put Randy in the back seat of my car and make sure he gets home okay. Is that what he does? No. He leads Randy back to his mother's Dodge. He takes him to a car when Randy isn't even on his feet right. Now, he says, well, I already had a carload of people to take home. So I just told Randy, here's the car. Just wait here and I'll make sure you get home. When the friend returned at 2 a.m., however, both Randy 
and the car were gone. He assumes Randy, in the horrific state he was, decided to drive home. Now, the police, fearing it might be easier to find a car than a person, they put out an all-patrol unit to be on the lookout for Alberta Leach's gray Dodge. Linwood's a small town, and police were confident, oh, we got this. It's a tiny town. We can find this car. They figure, we're just going to drive around for a while. You know, it's not a big deal. We can drive around and find this car. It's it's going to take an hour tops. We got this, Alberta and Harold. Don't worry about your kid. But hours passed, and there was still no sign of Randy and no sign of his mother's car in a very small town. Now, investigators are saying, investigators are saying they interviewed about 80 people who had been at the party, and each person they talked to maintained they had no idea what happened to Randy. Is any of this bringing you guys back to the recent case we talked about with Alonzo Brooks? I mean, yes, it's a difference between the only few black men at a white party, and this is a, you know, well-built white dude at in a small town at a party, but still, what is it about with these guys going to parties, and then nobody sees anything, and they end up missing? They, and of course, they're all saying, oh, nobody would hurt Randy. Randy's a good person, and of course, Randy is. So detectives start looking into the possibility that Randy may have disappeared voluntarily. Why would he disappear voluntarily? He's got pork chop at home. He's got a good family. And his parents insist this isn't something he would do. He talks to us. He makes A's and B's. And this is where police need to do their victimology. Look at this victim. Is this within their behavior? He was an only child, and he was very close to his parents. He did well in school. He had no problems at home. He wasn't attending to play in college, to attend college, but he had talked about enrolling in a trade school after graduation, and his father had recently purchased a brand new riding lawnmower for him because he had that lawn business. He planned to make some extra money that summer by mowing the lawns. And then there's that damn Mustang. He loved restoring that Mustang. There is no way he would leave that car behind. Now, there would be some tensions between Randy's family and law enforcement because of the way this investigation is being handled. And I would say, well, Duh, I can understand that. Because here they're saying, Randy's a runaway. And here's the police never searched the home where the party was held. And this is what's interesting. That home where the party was held, it burns to the ground shortly after Randy's disappearance. Coincidence? How does something like that just coincidentally happen? Harold and Alberta were convinced that Randy fell victim to foul play at the party. And they're to the point that they think police may have picked up on it. And they're just not convinced that this runaway theory is correct. 
To their credit, police would later admit that they had been wrong to assume Randy went missing on his own, and now they believe it was a victim of foul play. But how many how many hours did they lose? How many days did they lose pursuing the wrong lead? Now, the tiny town of Linwood, you know, as I had said, just home to 370 people in 1988, they're all shocked by Randy's disappearance. But then the entire community starts to come together around this family, and they start, they're like, shit, something's wrong here. And they start to rally and help. And because they always assumed their town was a safe haven. This is where crime doesn't happen. But now they're realizing crime can happen anywhere. And they start looking at their neighbors. They start looking at the other kids. Who had something to do with what happened to Randy? Now, while police are getting these leads during the first few weeks of the investigation, the tips eventually stopped coming and the case starts to go cold. Now, Harold and Alberta, Randy's parents, they did everything to keep the case in the news. And if you go back and look at this case, there is an amazing Facebook page. These two parents, they put their heart and their soul in this case. But the detectives admit that they had exhausted all the leads. Well, yeah, sure, because a freaking house burnt down. And they have no idea what happened to Randy. Desperate to find their son, Harold and Alberta hired a private detective, and they even consulted psychics. Harold spent nearly every hour of the day searching along roads and in wooded areas, looking for any clue that might lead to Randy or the missing car. They both wanted to believe that Randy was still alive, but their hopes were fading with each passing day. In their heart of hearts, they know if Randy was still alive, he would have contacted them by now. As it often is with the case, there's always all these conspiracy theories. And what happened to Randy started circulating through Linwood. Some people thought he might have witnessed something at the party he wasn't supposed to, and so somebody killed him because of that. Others claimed Randy had been depressed and suicidal and took his own life, but by now you would find a body. It's not a lot of places to hide a body in Linwood. A few thought he might have run away to start a new life on a beach somewhere. And where the hell that would have come from, no idea. Detectives say there is no evidence to, to back any of these up. Now, the rumor that goes around the most, because this happened in the 80s, was that Randy had been sacrificed by a satanic cult. And that's a rumor police always say is ridiculous. Again, in the 80s, you hear that a lot. We heard that, I mean, it completely ruined the Fager family murder case to the point Bill Butterworth got off because of this, even though there was so much evidence proving that he killed that family. There is Shannon Olson's case. Her killer is still at large because 
People in the 80s tainted that case by talking about a satanic cult. People were more worried about satanic panic than they were in finding the evidence of what actually happened in that case. Now, this rumor on this hand, though, it, it started to pop out when a man went to police claiming that he had been kidnapped by members of a satanic cult. He claimed that they had held him hostage in a nearby cave for two weeks, and during his captivity, he saw a corpse hanging from the ceiling and believed it was Randy. Investigators conducted an extensive search of this cave, and they didn't find anything. Eventually, the man admitted that he'd been on some drugs. It must have been some really good drugs, but it'd been drugs. And his claims were nothing more than a hallucination. Randy's case is still considered an active investigation by the Kansas Bureau of Investigation and the Leavenworth County Sheriff's Office. They no longer receive as many tips as they used to. They continue to follow up on any new information as it comes in. In January of 2021, several Leavenworth County ponds were searched for any sign of Randy or the missing Dodge. Adventures with a Purpose has even come in and looked in water areas trying to find Randy. It's been unsuccessful. Harold and Alberta never gave up their search. And as they both entered their 70s, they prayed they would learn what happened to their son before they died. Unfortunately, Harold died on January 28, 2021. But Alberta, she vows to continue the search for Randy. And she finds solace in the fact that Harold and Randy are likely together again. Now, I want to remind everybody, Randy Leach was 17 years old when he went missing in 1988. He has blue eyes and brown hair. And at the time of his disappearance, he was 6 feet 3 inches tall weighed 220 pounds. He was last seen wearing a pair of blue Levi's, a blue shirt, white socks, and white sneakers. He has a mole on his left ear. The car he was driving also remains missing. It is a gray four-door 1985 Dodge 600 with the Kansas license plate LVJ 8721. If you have any information about Randy, please contact the Leavenworth County Sheriff's Office at 1-800-572-7463. We've discussed before about how many people in the United States have gone missing after a night out with friends. So please make sure you have a buddy and you stick with them. Nobody leaves the party alone. And guys, you have to make sure that happens. You have to rely on one another. You have to make sure everybody leaves together. Leave no one behind. There are too many missing cases where somebody has left the party thinking somebody else has gotten someone else home. There has got to be a way for you guys to make sure that doesn't happen again. We don't want to do these podcasts anymore. 
As an investigator, I have a few questions about Randy Leach's case, and these are just questions that I've come across as I've been investigating it. And if anyone in Randy's family can answer these questions for me, or if anyone out there can answer these questions, please DM me because I think they might help my understanding of the case and paint a picture of what could have happened that night. But number one, it says that Randy stopped to work on his car. Where was that place, that garage where Randy was working on his car? Katrina Marshall has filled me in a little bit and said it was a shop in DeSoto, Kansas, which I think that's also where a uh, basic area where the party was being held. I could be wrong on that. Um, but okay, so I'd like to know where the garage was that the restoration of his amazing Mustang was he was working on. Number two, was anyone else with him while he was restoring and working on that Mustang for a few hours prior to the party and number three who has the mustang now who was in possession of the mustang after he went missing was there any follow-up with the mustang could this mustang have been some sort of catalyst or some sort of relationship of anything i'm sure i'm hoping law enforcement looked into this but the one thing I keyed in on this, I know so many people were talking about how something had to have happened at the party. And it is interesting that the house burned down while investigators were looking into things. But the thing that got me is people said when he arrived at the party, he was acting odd. And prior to the party, he had been working on his Mustang. So I just wonder, had he been alone when he was working on his Mustang and where exactly that was located? And were there any stops between working on the Mustang and showing up at the party? I think those pieces of information are extremely important. I know we stopped for candy and a soda prior to, but what happened in that time period in between? If anybody can answer those questions for me, please, Hit me up, send me a direct message. I would really like to know. Any of you out there who might have information about Randy Leach, I've said this before, you have a way to write your role in this story. I don't care what your role was. Just an observer, somebody who was involved, somebody who was a friend of Randy and knows something. But as the years go on, this was in 1988. I can tell you right now, I'm 53 years old. People get older, they start drinking, they start talking. As true crime becomes more prevalent, people are sitting up and they are listening to this information and they are phoning tips in because there are rewards. There's a $5,000 reward out for this. And COVID has made it so people need money. So it's your choice. Do you want how that story ends up unfolding? Do you want your role in that story to come off as the villain? Or do you want your role in that story to come out as somebody 
who is in the wrong place at the wrong time, or if you're the person who is directly involved, was it something that got out of hand? It's your chance to tell your story as you're getting older. It's a chance to just be honest. Now, Alberta, every year she goes front of the state house with her rally just to get case information. And we know how that feels. There is no reason they can't share some of this case with her. She feels alone and she feels frustrated. There's been a petition out. So as Kansans, as true crime enthusiasts, and as citizen detectives, let's do what we can to help bring Randy back home to Alberta. Thanks for listening. We out.